Hello and welcome to the Bond Revisited podcast with me, Tom. And me, Joe. The podcast where we rewatch the Bond films one by one, discuss them, and then rank them alongside the other Bond films to build our own definitive list for the Bond franchise. You are listening to episode 16, where I'll be revisiting the film License to Kill. So we're finally at this point of the last John Glenn film that he did. This is our fifth in a row. And I'm going to ask yeah. you, are you sad or excited to see John go? Oh, oh, I'm not sad at all. Mm. Sorry, sorry, John. I'm glenned out. <laughs> I'm, I'm glenned out. I, this is just too much. It's it too is. much. This This film... I just got to the end and I'm like, thank goodness there was a six-year gap and, and there was some problems with the rights or whatever led to that gap because it was really needed. Yeah, definitely. It's not like, when I look at the John Glenn films, it's like it's definitely not my favourite era, but it is like another exhausting era, which is kind of sad because I feel like that's how we got with like at the end of Octopussy and the end of the Roger Moore era as well. It was like kind of a little bit exhausted of this and feel a yeah. little bit of that again already with License to Kill. Yeah, it's just, we said it before, but he but he just stuck around too long, just yeah. too long. And, and it's a shame that like, yeah, you're right. You, we're kind of getting this feeling. It's only Dalton's second film. I should really be liking this. I think it's a, in many ways it's better than what we saw last time and, and I, I should be geared up for it. It's action-packed and all that sort of stuff, but I'm just not because it's just it has all the same problems that we've said before and we're going to say them again, most likely. Yeah, look forward to that. Um, but yeah, and also it's the fact that for me it golden eyes right around the corner. I see Piers Brosnan peeking around the corner saying, <laughs> there's so many good things going on over here. There's a party over here. Don't hang out with that, Tim. He's boring. He's old news. Come on over. New era over here. So a little bit of that going on as well. He's a beacon in the darkness of Glenn. <laughs> yeah. Shining, oh. <laughs> luring us towards him. Always shining. But still saying that, we, we've started a little bit negative, which was my intention, I admit. But I was still a little bit excited to watch this film because if you asked me before the rewatch, like I didn't put this in top five or top bottom, like either of the Tim Timothy Dalton films. I felt like both of them are probably just pretty mid, pretty middle. Um, but I kind of feel like License to Kill has a little bit more going on. Or if you asked me before, I would have said like, yeah, that film's got a bit more going on with the villain and the the gore and, and things like that. So I was like, it's not my favourite Bond film, but I feel like I at least remember License to Kill, where before I didn't remember The Living Daylight at all. Yeah, exactly the same. I, I always thought this was going to be the better film. Um, oh, Maybe not better, but as you say, memorable at least. Um, and I think that remains true. I do think there's a lot of things to like in this film. It's just, yeah, a lot of things that have just outstayed their welcome. Mainly, and I'm sure you'll agree with this, just the length. Yes. Just the length. Just too long. Yeah, so it is 133 minutes, which is like two minutes longer than Octopussy was. I just don't... I've already made this joke, but seeing how John Glenn won't leave, I'm going to make it again. <laughs> how did an editor be so bad at editing his own films when he was directing? It's like, come on. Yeah, I don't know. The thing is, I I watched some of the deleted scenes for this as well. Cause I was oh, you couldn't get edit. enough. It needed more. No. Oh, well, I just wondered what on earth did they delete from this? And he, yeah, like he's, he, even on the Blu-ray, he's there like introducing all the cut scenes and explaining why he got rid of them. And I'm just there thinking... 
maybe have a take two like what really you got rid of this but you didn't get rid of what we what stayed in the film mad it's interesting yeah because i've never looked at any of these deleted scenes but i think you've done that quite a bit as we've gone along yeah yeah just curious but uh sometimes it is quite um i don't know aggravating in a way i wouldn't say there's any deleted scenes that are better like that should have stayed rather than something in but it's just he even says about oh this didn't really add much and oh that you know we cut this for time and then i'm there thinking what would this have been like without this then blimey (laughs) yeah the original cut must have just been rough yeah oh yeah okay let's get into it let's check out license to kill Sure. Um, so we start off and it's the Bond theme, but it's just been changed. And it like starts with something that doesn't sound like the Bond theme. And then the Bond theme actually properly starts. I have no idea why they made this change. It really caught me off guard how yeah. this starts. I was not expecting it, but it is like the most dramatic start we've had so far. Like there's really like shrieking sounds and they've really amped it up, didn't they? Yeah, I just don't quite understand it. Yeah, I think jarring is is definitely the right word. It's just like, ah, okay, all right. Because it's still the circles, it's still the walk, it's still the Bond theme, but for some reason they just really wanted to throw you off, yeah, off your guard straight away. I don't know what instrument it was. Uh, I I put down in my notes timpani, thinking it's like a big drum-sounding thing. But it really was like they just thought, right, we need to make this intro the most grandiose feeling yet like really knuckle down people in their seats and it just starts like seconds in it's just crazy i don't know if it it doesn't help that we have watched like this is our 16th one in a row now oh is it really i didn't had noticed oh yeah actually yeah it goes by quick when (laughs) glenn's in charge (laughs) Uh, but yeah like you just get it's kind of strange. And I think that's something that I might talk about later. I won't go into it too much, but I think there's a certain expectation with these Bond films now that we're at the 16th. And maybe License to Kill is a bit strange because it kind of very much goes against some of those. But Yeah. Uh, yeah, so we go to the the first scene, which we see a plane in the sky, which has like a circle on top of it. I think that's meant to be like a radar dish or something, but it's just like this big flat circle on the roof. Didn't know what that was. I didn't even see the circle. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think it might have just been there because there are technically... I think there are two planes, potentially. But uh, we go inside the plane and we see some men working and looking at these radars and all technical, you know, radios and beep boops, that sort of thing. And they say, ah, this plane... Another plane is uh, changing course. So somebody in this plane is tracking a different plane. And they're saying the plane is changing course. So we go and see a a, pla- a plane that is leading, and these two guys are like Americans in the plane who are tracking the other plane. Maybe I should just say circle plane <laughs> <laughs> or something. Uh, it's not really that confusing. You don't really know what's going on, but there's some sort of operation where they're tracking a train, and they're all like, "Oh, we're gonna get him this guy, you know, this time. He's not getting away, by God." Uh, so then we cut to Bond, Felix, and another man who is called Sharky, I think? Yeah, good old Sharky. Yeah, I'm only calling him Sharky now because I I don't know if you actually find out in this scene. Um, I think you might find out later. But yeah, we see Bond, Felix, and a man called Sharky all in wedding gear, all looking very fancy, and they're all very happy in the back of this car. And I think Felix is like, have you still got the wedding ring? And Bond has the wedding ring, so... Yeah, they're all off to a wedding. And 
Oh, let me make sure I get this right. Because then there's like a helicopter, I think. Unless there's not actually two planes and that was just the helicopter. Oh, what, they, maybe they were tracking the helicopter. Yeah. Possibly. But there must have been another plane. I only just saw this. I don't... <laughs> <laughs> oh, the, oh, the helicopter that, that goes past um, Bond and Felix and that. Yes. Oh, that's the, that's the uh, that's the DEA. I see. Okay. Yes. Yeah. All right. So we we have a plane that's tracking another plane, but now we have a helicopter, but that's the DEA. And then I think it's also the DEA in the circle plane, and they're tracking some sort of bad guy. Mm. Um, so we see, but I've got it that somebody gets garroted. Like there's some garrot wire going on, but I, I honestly have no idea <laughs> where. <laughs> One thing to or who. <laughs> One thing to note is that this scene, or the whole film really, this intro, it moves a mile a minute. I know we've said that before, but this is maybe the most, like, example of that, the biggest, biggest example of that. It's just everything happens so quick. But yes. yeah, there's equal, at the same time this is going on, there's a group of bad guys that are breaking into a house and, and yeah, garroting a guy. Yes, that's the one. Okay, yeah, that, that makes sense. It's not actually that confusing when you watch it, and the whole point on of this scene is that you don't really know what's going on. Like, that's very intentional, uh, just when you try and explain it back to someone. It cuts every, like, five seconds between, like, three different scenes because they're trying to have this very high-energy, very exciting intro, which it's quite successful at doing, uh, but it somewhat does that with this editing style, which means my notes jump around a lot because every five seconds the film jumps around a lot. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so we are in the Bahamas, we find out, and they are tracking a man called uh, Sanchez. So the helicopter, the DEA helicopter, lands in front of Bond, Felix, and Sharky in the car, and the car stops, and the DEA tells Felix... You know, Sanchez is here. The man you've been tracking is here. Um, so he says, I'm going to I'm going to go. I'm going to get that done. I'm going to take take out Sanchez, go in the helicopter. Bond agrees to come as observer and Sharky's all mad. He's like, where are you going? Um, and they all just kind of fly off. So we see that the the plane, the, the people who garroted the other people break into a house and there's a man and a woman in bed. And... They take the man out of bed, or Sanchez walks in, uh, takes the the man out of bed, and he is taken away. Uh, I think he says, go and take out his heart to his goons. And then his goons just take away the man, and we, we hear a man scream. And then the woman who's there is all sorry and crying and apologetic, and Sanchez just quite calmly like lays her down and then says, you need to be punished uh, for what you've done here. So gets a whip and then just starts whipping the woman in the back as she kind of cries. And I mean, it's a very effective way of establishing a villain, but it was oh, also yeah. quite a lot for like the first two minutes of your film. Yeah, that's what threw me is, I mean, everyone talks about this film being darker and everyone talks about the head popping scene, which we'll get onto, to uh, and just generally more violence. But I forgot just it's really quick and especially i guess the point is you know you've got the lovely wedding day and everyone's so happy and chirpy on one end and then you have scenes like this and it's just like oh geez yeah he, he that really is the villain yeah because it's like it's not a million miles away from other villains but they've clearly taken a big step forward so like whipping a woman as she cries and a man you don't see it but a man having his heart like pulled out it's like oh like i don't know i don't think they should have started so strong like no. you should have probably worked in those elements a little bit subtler, especially because like 
it's a Bond film, right? Like, if you're going to have these stuff in there, you, you kind of ease it in. Although we might sound like hypocrites when we get to Casino Royale, because that also was quite in your face, but it wasn't actually quite as brutal as this. No, I think just coming from coming from uh, The Living Daylights, which was, it was Timothy Dalton, but I think it was still kind of a leftover elements of like the Roger Moore type films. Whereas this one, they have clearly tried to take a different tone right off the bat. And it's just quite, um, quite, they've kind of gone all in maybe a bit too much, as you say. Yeah, like it made me think quite a bit about why does Casino Royale succeed in such a big tone change and being grittier and bloodier and like that? And why does License to Kill fail in some of those aspects? And I don't think I really have a, a good answer, but it was something I was thinking quite a lot. And I think this straight away is probably why, um, especially because as far as we know, she's just an innocent woman being whipped. It's not, It's not a bad guy being killed. It's just a woman and an innocent dude as far as we know yeah so we then see sharky the man who was at the car he arrives at the wedding and runs in and the bride of the wedding is like where is he and sharky has to be like he's not here so we then go back to the helicopter where bond is getting a gun from felix who are who is heading towards the house we uh presume uh, and then we cut again to sanchez who is taking the woman who was whipped out of the house again in the jeep they drive away. As the Jeep is driving away, we see Sanchez just jump off the Jeep and hide a little bit. So as that's happening, the helicopter is landing. Bond is told to stay at the helicopter as Felix and the DA agents go to storm the house. And we get a very awkward shot of like the agents and Felix running towards the camera <laughs> with their guns. It's like something yeah. from Baywatch. It's like, <laughs> that just doesn't look very good. I don't know. That never happens again in the film either. That sort no. of shot. It just sticks out like a sore thumb. I guess they were taken on board the sort of 80s action films of the time. And then, but just only that, only only for there, nowhere else. It it really is kind of a strange creative choice for that one shot. Yeah, I'm not too sure what to exactly reference. I said Baywatch, but of course this also happens in action films. But yeah, I think you're right. I think it's like 80s, maybe a Miami Vice or something. Yeah. And the, but the thing is, is like, usually with that, it would be, or like Rambo or something, right? You know, it's like young, muscly uh, Sylvester Stallone. In this one, we've got a 60-year-old Felix. It's like, <laughs> doesn't quite equal. <laughs> now, if they did it with Q, then you'd oh. be onto something. Oh, now that would be, yeah. Oh, yeah. On some sort of gadget or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I want to see. And we get a lot of cue, so it could have happened. Yeah. But anyway, so let's try and get this right, I think. So the Jeep arrives and starts shooting at them. So this is the Jeep without Sanchez, but his goons. So they start all shooting and the helicopter that Bond's inside starts lifting off to go chase the Jeep. But Bond jumps out of the helicopter. Don't remember why. I guess it's not important. So the Jeep then charges that Bond, which Bond just shoots the front of, and that causes it to crash. And we see all the men who was inside just run away, I think. They just run off. Mm. And the woman who was in the Jeep is left in the Jeep. Bond goes up to her and is like, do you need any help? But she just says, like, go away, go away. Leave me alone. Get out of here. Uh, so while this is happening, we then see the plane from before, the plane that was being tracked starting to lift off, of which Felix and the DA agent go to chase it. And inside the plane, we see Sanchez. 
So when Sanchez jumped off the Jeep, he then went into this plane and now he's about to fly off and we get a very cocky Sanchez in the cockpit all smiling and uh, and waving there. So the helicopter comes back, which allows Bond and Felix and everyone to get back on and they go and chase the plane. So now we've got the plane and the helicopter with the helicopter chasing. So Bond comes up with this idea. He puts on a parachute and says, let's go fishing. And there's a big hook on this helicopter because now they're both just flying in the sky and they the helicopter flies above the plane bond they then hook up bond he then gets lowered down onto the plane he then ties up the plane uh, and then well the bond theme is playing alongside all of this worth worth saying i think um and also, it's quite a bit longer. Like, I'm rushing through this a little bit because so much happens, but it is quite a long scene of Bond being lowered on, trying to, like, is he going to be able to grab onto the plane properly with the Bond theme playing? But, of course, he does. So he ties it all up, and then they say, pull up, and they the helicopter pulls up, which causes the plane to then pull up, so it starts pointing downwards, and it's tilting forward, so they have captured the guy, or Sanchez, in the plane. And... Bond and Felix realize we got to get to this wedding. So Bond's got a parachute and Felix has a parachute. Uh, Felix jumps out of the helicopter towards Bond, act, you know, turns on his parachute or uh, not turns on, you know, just launches his parachute. Bond launches his parachute. They land down exactly where the wedding is taking place. <laughs> That's fortunate, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it worked out, I think. And the bride is very happy and crying and everyone applauds as they land down and join in on the wedding because this is felix's wedding so it's felix that was getting wedding and bond was his best man so they all hug everyone claps and, and there we go so it's certainly an exciting opening oh yeah i don't know if i would say it's my favorite but it's very action-packed and it's very in your face and you know on paper i do quite like it because it also ties into the plot like sanchez this is this is the guy and also, it's a pretty cool little set piece here. I do think I'm a little bit sick of the planes and the helicopter stuff. Like, I get they only have so many things that they can do, but I feel like in the John Glenn era especially, it feels like in every single one of the films, it needs to have some sort of air stunt with parachutes and planes and things like that. Mm. And we've had quite a lot of them, and I wouldn't say this one was particularly better than some of the other ones that we've had. But still, it's exciting. And I like these kind of high-energy, action-packed openings that also set up the main plot and the villain. So it's it, it's pretty good. It's like it's not my favourite, but yeah, pretty good. Yeah, yeah, I think it's pretty good too. It's it's relentless. <laughs> it's just, yeah. you, don't, you don't have a second to breathe with this intro. And some people might really like that. I don't hate it. I just think it's it does suffer a bit from trying to explain a bit too much. Well, maybe not. I don't know. I guess you needed the, like the bit with the woman. Um, you needed that to kind of understand who she is and then that she tried to escape before. And it does all link into the later plot, I guess. It's just, you said like it does cut back and forth quite a lot. And sometimes I just wish it was just a bit simpler and just kept it to the core stunt, uh, which is a good stunt. I like I like the whole fishing and hooking a plane in the sky. Um, that's neat. I think, yeah, just suffers a bit from trying to cram in a bit too much information. But one thing I do like, and we do see this throughout the rest of the film, is that the, this film loves its villain. Like, Sanchez is in this film probably the most any villain has ever been 
in a Bond film. Yeah. And it's great. Yeah. It's great because he's a good villain and he's a good actor. Uh, Robert Darvey, I think his name is the actor. But even from the get-go, he's just, he's in so much. And he always has this sort of, like in this scene where he's escaping, obviously, he got like a nice little smirk to him as he's trying to getting away and, and then he's caught. He's got a great presence straight off the bat. Yes, of course. Just is because I guess when you first watch this film, you don't know. Like I don't think you one hundred percent know, especially because they don't introduce villains this way. Not in this way of like, oh, there's this guy and they capture him. Like this could have just been a random person that they capture who then is like the henchman or something, right? Like, mm. um, but so that little uncertainty I think is quite nice. Although you know we both knew who this guy was, but I kind of like the idea of when you were first watching this film. Perhaps you're not too sure because he just gets captured and that kind of does create a good amount of intrigue going into the main film itself which i quite like as well yeah definitely what do you think about a uh, bond in the wedding gear though i do like it i do like it i think it's some shots he it's mainly the bit where he is being lowered down on the helicopter and i just think no one looks flattering in that sort of thing <laughs> like you know mm. all the like it's all tight around the sleeves and his hair is being pushed down from the the rotor blades it doesn't look the best, but I think Bond in the wedding outfit overall, great. I mean, it's it's a nice um, it's a nice little kind of visual twist to add this and have it be Felix's wedding at the same time. I have to agree about the hair though. It's such a such a yeah. silly thing to point out, but his hair isn't like massively different from the Living Daylights, but it's different enough that sometimes it just looks really weird and flat, like it's being pushed down, and he just looks like. He just looks sad or something. Like it, it doesn't look right. Like it's cut weird. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, there were numerous points in this film. Not just now. Numerous. Numerous points where I just thought his hair looks weird. Yeah, I had and the same. I, I never thought that about Roger Moore, really. So that's, You were too busy looking at the face. Too busy looking at the weird eyes and the view to a kill. <laughs> no, I just, yeah, sometimes his hair looked weird. I don't know. They, Agreed. They permed it wrong. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Sorry, Timothy. I'm sure your hair looks great now being 70, but back then, not not the best for Bond. No. Anyway, uh, let's carry on. Let's stop, let's stop judging this poor man. Um, it then goes into the title sequence of the film, which uh, is my domain usually to start with. And, and I'm finding less and less to say about with these. I think until we get to the next film where they you know, we start to get some CGI and everything. Although I will say... This might be my one of my favourites, or at least one of my favourites in a long time. Um, in terms of visually, it's not too dissimilar to A Living Daylights, I would say. It has, it's it's definitely polished, uh, but I did like the kind of visual cues they used more, and I think they all kind of blended a bit more together. Um, and it's, you know, it's not groundbreaking stuff that you're seeing on screen. It's really just like. Describe Bond. Okay, um, well, we have a gun barrel, uh, which they kind of cleverly use as an aperture of a camera as well, like that same sort of pattern. Uh, casinos, so you get the roulette wheel, you get betting table, crosshairs, yep, you got those. Women, yep, you get those. But it's all, I don't know, unlike previous ones, I think this one had a, just a better vision to it overall. And it was just a bit more colourful as well. Well, I think it's... It's trying to do something that The Living Daylight did, which is that more kinetic, energetic, like things are moving more. But where I think in the last one, it was a lot of like the camera was moving and swooping a little bit. This one was more, let's have things be in other things and then like transition mm. to that. 
so as you say the beginning is a woman holding the camera but then inside the camera like is where you get a shot and then you like i think zoom into that potentially or they do a lot of those sort of things it's shots inside things um and i think that works quite well and i think that's probably where that feeling of it being more cohesive came from like they they spend a little bit more time like adding in a few of those transitions not a ton but kind of enough to tie it together so yeah this is probably the last one in this kind of era of openings i feel like a few to a kill living daylight and this one are all somewhat similar yeah um and i probably did like the living daylight a little bit more just because it was just a bit yeah it was a bit more energetic and i guess a bit more all over the place and i kind of like that in a weird way um but you're right this one is more coherent coherent it comes together a little bit more it doesn't really introduce anything new visually compared to no. the other ones but it's definitely a bit more polished a little bit more put together so this is i guess what you kind of expect by this point right when a, a team that's done so many of these is asked to do another one and they just don't really have any ideas they just put together a quite solid uh, version of it for this i know why you like to live living daylights more you love the giant glass of champagne with a woman in it i did i did like it it's great <laughs> Great stuff. Yeah, I don't know. They could have used, uh, oh, I don't know, maybe something like cocaine. Maybe they're, maybe they're a bit much for the yeah, <laughs> the maybe. title sequence. But that is a main theme of the film. Uh, and like gasoline and fire. I don't know. We do get a lot of fire in this film, so it's a bit weird that it's not in there. Yeah. Anyway. Well, yeah, that's an important point. Still not themed. No, still not, not themed. themed but they, they used to, and then they've gone back. I don't know why. No clue. I suppose you could argue the camera was a little bit of a theme. But like, bit. where does that tie in? There is a camera, but it's not that big of a film or yeah. that big, big of a part of it. It's just there's a camera gun. Yeah, so that means there's it. a ton of cameras <laughs> in this opening sequence here. Pretty much. Yeah, that's all you're getting. Um, Song-wise, so this song was Licensed to Kill by uh, Gladys Knight. And very different, very different to what we've had the last two times where they were more sort of popish, you know, electronic sounding um songs very very 80s sounding this is a sound well kind of late 80s i suppose in a way still but in a different way um it's to me it's kind of goldfinger vibes because gladys knight she's like a very big voice she's very booming she you know, can hold a note in a like really long and great great sort of vocal presence but it does have those elements of of goldfinger where it's got like big kind of horn sounds and i think it works really well as a as a kind of taken inspiration from Goldfinger, but making it more fitting with the times. Like, it's, it still works. And in fact, I would happily listen to License to Kill. I think it's a really good song. Well, yeah, it's it's very much less modernised the old 60 themes for the 80s because you still have those horns, as you say. But yeah, they add in other elements that still feel, feel quite distinctive, distinctively 80s. Or at least like late 80s, early 90s. Right, because we are now in 1989 with this one, so we're actually just about to come out of the 80s and transition to the to the early 90s. So you get that type of sound, uh, which isn't bad. And I, this is one of those songs for me that when it first comes on, I'm like, yes, this is great. And I think when you first start this off and you hear those big horns and the big opening uh, part of it, it's exciting. And that first chorus, which is all very big. Uh, with her voice singing as well but by the time i get to the end of it i'm just like a bit sick of it already like even in this one i don't like that second chorus where they kind of like build it up and 
it sounds different. It's like sounds like it's tripping over itself. So it's like I like the intro, I like the first verse, I like the first chorus, but I'm kind of done with the song by that point. So I don't dislike it. And especially because the full song is like five minutes long as well. Yeah. Which we don't get the full version. But it's like, yeah, I'm I kind of like was done by it. By the time that second chorus came in and it was mixing it up, I was like, I'm not that into it as much as I was when it first came on. That that's not surprising because if we do take this as a, a modernized Goldfinger, imagine if Goldfinger was that long. Oh, that'd be <laughs> awful. Would, it would be awful. Like thankfully, I still wouldn't like listen to it outside of Bond, but it is short, uh, and it knows when to stop. But yeah, I kind of guess that would yeah that would be the natural conclusion if you were to lengthen it, and that's kind of what this is in a way. Yeah, a bit. It's just interesting that they did this. Then I think it was a good idea after two eighty song kind of doing a let's go back to basics but also update it i think that was smart it's just interesting that they actually did that that is not what i thought they would do i thought they would kind of continue along this path but it's nice it's nice to have two films that did one sort of style and then the next film does a different sort of style and this leads quite naturally into the next song goldeneye which is well we'll get there but yes but it's nice that they are they're not just sticking to their guns like we could have had 10 years of like 80s pop synth pop but i'm glad we didn't even though i really like both those songs i'm glad they were they weren't afraid to do something uh different from the last ones i want to yeah it's a shame we didn't have any early 90s bond films could you imagine oh, <laughs> some rave music as the, as oh the i thought you were gonna go like nirvana or something <laughs> oh all that yeah some grunge as well oh Think of what we missed. Anyway. Shame. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, we get back into the film uh, and it starts off with, we see what's happened to Sanchez, uh, who has obviously been caught in the pre-Tata sequence. Uh, he is in some sort of like sort of interrogation question room um, being questioned by the DEA uh, and this uh, American agent is there basically reeling off his list of crimes and how many counts that they've got him for and how many years he's going to spend in prison. Um Although, you know, Sanchez seems pretty unfazed by this. He's cool as a cucumber. Um, he, see, yeah, I think he basically knows that he's going to be fine. And then he starts to uh, offer a bribe. Uh, I think what the American agent guy says, like, oh, you know, no million dollar pro- bribe is going to save you. And then Sanchez says, well, how about two? And um, I think the agent still says, no, he's going to jail. So we're going to Guantanamo or somewhere like that. Um but yeah, obviously doesn't quite happen like that. But anyway, um, as that's going on, we cut back to the wedding, the lovely wedding that's happening in the Bahamas, Felix. And we haven't really mentioned, but yeah, Felix is the same Felix from Live and Let Die, by the way. He's a lot older now, but it is the same actor. He doesn't Why? look as bad as I thought he would. Like, no, not at all. I, considering you saying he's 60, he looks very good for 60, but it's just... I think we've already said this bizarre choice to do this. Very bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. All the times they could have done this and now they choose to bring back Felix and have some element of consistency. Very, very strange. Uh, but yeah, at the wedding bond is with uh, the bride, Della, um, having a little kiss. Apparently it's good luck or something like that. Cause the, the groom, um, and she asks bond to go get Felix cause it's time to cut the cake. So, Bond goes and uh, finds Felix in his office where he is, yeah, he's like, still working. <laughs> it's, it's his wedding day, but he's a busy man. 
you know, takes his his role very seriously because uh, he's there behind his desk talking to uh, this lady who is very quickly introduced as Pam, but she um, she leaves pretty much instantly. Uh, I think he yeah gives her a bit of paper or something like that, and then off she goes. And Bond is summoning uh, Felix to come cut the cake and. There's a little bit of a, a back and forth between you know how lucky they were to catch Sanchez. He usually never makes an appearance, and his yeah some big uh, crime drug lord from South America, uh, where he's you know he rules Sanchez's law down there, and so it was a really lucky lucky break to get him. Uh, Felix is writing up a report of all this stuff that's going on, like the whole mission uh, on his computer, and he takes takes the disc out, this is an important thing to know, he takes the disc out and puts it in a photo of uh, the, the bride, his wife, Della, kind of like in the back of it, uh, and then puts the photo back for safekeeping, and they go and um, they go and go to cut the cake. Yeah, we spend a lot of time in this office. Well, not, not a lot of time here, but like this house seems like a place they just keep going back and forwards to. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I it's think a nice it's, house. Yeah, I mean, it's a nice house, but yeah, I think this is like... Bond comes back later, then he comes back like again. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah. it's a little bit of a back and forth. Yeah. Oh, and I think the uh, the the agent guy appears as well very briefly and says like, "Hey, we're going to go transport Sanchez now. Go take him away." Yeah, yeah. He comes in because it's all supposed to be very happy. Not only is Felix getting married, but he also arrested Sanchez. He somehow got him. So that guy's going to congratulate him as well. Yeah, I think he Felix offers him a drink, but there's no time. He's too busy. Too busy. Uh, so, yeah, as Sanchez is being loaded up into the back of a, a van to be taken to the prison, and there's all these reporters there, and you know he he's a bit of a celebrity, I guess, and he's, he's really loving it. Like he's smiling to the camera and everything like that. Uh, and we see back at the wedding, Felix and Della give Bond a gift, um, and it's a a lighter, a nice engraved. Genuine Felix Leiter, I suppose, uh, engraved with a little message from them. And um, yeah, that comes into play for <laughs> very later on. But uh, it's, yeah, very nice gift from them. And we do see, uh, we go back to the transportation of Sanchez and the agent, who I did write down his name, his name's Killifer. Don't know Killifer. when that's mentioned. Killifer. Uh, he's the one, so he's the same guy that was interrogating Sanchez or questioning him. He's in the front and Sanchez is in the back of this van and uh, in the front of the car, Killifer like, uses this, the stub of his gun to knock out the driver and basically crash the van off this bridge into the sea where it starts to sink and this is sort of uh, the cue for Sanchez's men who are like scuba divers to come out and rescue Sanchez from the back of the van, give him an oxygen tank, load him up into this little mini sub that's down there, uh, and Killifer as well. Uh, they help him out. And yeah, so it turns out he did accept the bribe and he sabotaged the trip. Yeah, nice little twist there, I suppose, because they were, I felt like they were setting up that the other guy was going to betray them because when the guy was being, or when Sanchez was being uh, questioned, you had Killifer and somebody else. And when the guy said two million, or when Sanchez says two million, the other guy's like, hmm. And then Killifer's <laughs> all like, oh, you're not getting away with this, blah, 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 blah. But no, it's actually uh, Killifer, the one. So nice little little twist. Little twist, but also Killifer does look like a bit of a weasel. You <laughs> yeah. know, he has that face of him, like he would betray me if he was offered $2 million. 
and also it's quite interesting because yeah uh, i think i can't remember if you said or not to be honest but uh you it, you do get this idea that sanchez is a celebrity here mm. where all the press are taking pictures and they're just what they want pictures they're like hey let's have a picture let's have a picture so he's not actually treated by the people as this evil man he's just kind of treated as the guy in charge it's it's quite interesting this villain straight away with all these little nods here and how he's kind of in control of everything it's a it's it's what i guess is implied from other bond villains but this is someone very public facing and it does straight away yeah very different vibe yeah like he's he's in it he we've never really seen a villain escape like this before actually having said that now i'm now racking my brain have we possibly but you know this is as you say it's all planned like he knows what he's doing he has all the the strings puppet strings and everything so it's kind of uh yeah it's interesting to see this Um, yeah it's nice a lot of this stuff though did make me think i think even this early on was about breaking bad maybe it's just because this guy is called sanchez and it's all about drugs but i feel like this type of scene of him just kind of being very calm and breaking out is something we have seen a ton since and potentially before but this is a very kind of cliche at this point drug law gets arrested and just bribes a, a u.s agent to free him and he has this very smooth operation and it's not bad, but it's it's not Breaking Bad. <laughs> it's uh, oh, so it does feel a little bit lesser in comparison to that, but not really bad at all. It was just kind of interesting to see this film where it's just something we've seen a ton since. Oh, this this whole trope has is so overdone now. I mean, even you know Skyfall had it with uh, what's his face. Oh, oh, I forgot his name. That's bad. <laughs> Ask me again in like eight weeks. <laughs> yeah, you know that guy. He escapes and he has everything planned out. It's like kind of Joker esque, isn't it? With that sort of thing, where just as you say, completely calm and collected. They know what's going on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, as that's going on, well, later on at night, um, the wedding, the reception's over, the party's over. Della and Felix are outside their house, and they uh, Della offers. Um, Bon, uh, James the the garter that she's wearing, as a, you know, little little tradition of uh, uh, next one to get married sort of thing. And uh, Bond is very uh, very adamant, firm no to that. Just just no, no words, no no explanation, just no. And and leaves in his car and and uh, well, yeah, leaves. And Della says afterwards, "Oh, have I, did I say something wrong?" and Hopefully, as an audience, you know, you would know what's going on. But then Felix does kind of spell it out and say that, yeah, he was married once, but it was a long time ago. Yeah, which with the continuity of these films, I think Felix had to say that. But yeah, it also I found her character so odd, not her in specifically, but like her relationship with Bond, because they imply to be such close friends. But it's like, really, you didn't know he had his he has a dead wife? Like really you didn't know that like i did not buy that these two were close at all even though they do present it that these two are like yeah super close friends dancing with each other laughing with each other at the wedding just didn't buy it Mm, yeah yeah i mean i could could definitely see bond being very tight tight tight-lipped about this and maybe felix being the only one that knew but equally yeah they do put a lot of they do put a lot of emphasis on them two having a grand old time together so yeah, she's just put her foot in it, didn't she? I think, yeah, I think that's my problem. They focus on it so much, them dancing and stuff. And I know why it's to make it hurt more when what happens happens. But I think they did a better job with Felix. I bought 
Felix and Bond being very pally, despite this being an, an older Felix and one from Live and Let Die and Timothy Dalton like only being a second film. I actually think they did a pretty good job of their relationship and bouncing back and forth. And I think a lot of that is the acting. I think the actors said it quite well. I just didn't buy the woman. Uh, I didn't buy those two. But I think they did do a good job with Felix and Bond feeling like old friends hanging out. I think they did a good job there. Yeah, I agree. And Tom, you don't have to worry about the bride for very much longer. Yeah, <laughs> okay. That problem really solves itself. <laughs> it really does because uh, yeah, Bond leaves. Uh, Felix and Della go back inside, back into um, into the bedroom, and the uh, they there's some men in there. There's some men that are broken in, and they what they knock out Felix and uh, from behind, and yeah, they they grab her, and oh no, what's going to happen? Yeah, it's quite harrowing, this. Like, it's just something you never expect to see in a Bond film, ever. Yeah. Because, like, I think... Okay, someone being captured, very Bond, right? That's totally fine. But there's something about there's people on their wedding day and these characters that you know and have been established and are friends of Bond entering their own home and having these men being there and just grabbing them. I think it's just... Yeah, it's, it's quite unsettling. It's effective in what it's trying to do, but it was quite unsettling for me. But luckily, the next scene is quite a nice one. So <laughs> that's a really nice scene we got coming up. Um, so we cut to a warehouse, which is kind of on the docks by the ocean. You know, we're still in the Bahamas here, so lots of stuff is by docks in the ocean. So we see a warehouse and we have Sanchez in an office inside the warehouse. And we have a man who has a mustache whose name is Milton Cress. I think, I don't know if we find that out here, but I never know when we hear names in these films. I couldn't no. tell you. I'm sure I always miss it the first time. I, to begin with, before I knew his name, he was Head Pop Man to me. <laughs> that was in my notes, Head Pop, Pop, Pop Man. Pop Pirate, maybe. <laughs> uh, yeah, so so Crest and Sanchez. That's Okay, that's something I quite like about the name Sanchez, though, because I do trip up on names, but Sanchez is like, you know, quite a... What's the word would we say? Not stereotypical name, but a very common name. Um, so mm. I think that's quite useful. Like I don't even know if you ever really see his full name all that much. I'm sure you do at some point, but throughout the whole film, it's Sanchez, Sanchez, Sanchez. You're always hearing Sanchez. So it's like, oh, that's Sanchez that I've heard so much about. So I appreciate that at least. Yeah, you can't miss him. No. So, yeah, so Chris and Sanchez are, are talking and the Chris is saying about how we should get to Cuba. We should get out of here. Uh, because Sanchez recently was arrested, but has now escaped. So he's saying we need to get out of here um, and forget the the US agent, Kifler, Kilfer, I think you said. Um, but Sanchez saying, I made a deal with this man and I think loyalty is important. So I'm going to honor the deal and give him his $2 million. So the Kilfer enters the room. Sanchez gives him a big old suitcase and gives him $2 million in 20s. And they then step outside and we see this is like some sort of fish lab type place. It's a warehouse, but there's a ton of t fish tanks everywhere. Um, and we also see a big hunk of meat tied to this rope nearby as well. So Felix is there held up by two henchmen. He's a little bit like passed out and woozy and he's all been tied up. So Sanchez approaches Felix and one of the men says, oh, we gave your wife a nice honeymoon. He goes like mm. moon for some yeah. reason. 
which is like it's a, it's quite a horrible scene but that was like that was weird what an odd person um, because yeah Felix <laughs> what an odd man that's um what's his face uh Ben Benicio del Toro a very young one very kind of like yeah like this is one of his very first films kind of oh yeah because of course yeah he's in this scene isn't it yeah I always get that confused uh what's the name of his character oh uh Dario Dario yes okay so so yeah Sanchez has so we've got Sanchez, the guy in charge. We've got Cress, who's an older man who's also kind of in charge of this drug operation. Then we've got Dario, one of the henchmen. Um, and also we've got Kilfler, the US agent, who's there as well. So Felix, yeah, asked where my where's my wife? And the man Dario says we gave her a nice honeymoon. Uh, and which Sanchez then says, This is nothing personal, this is just purely business. So they hook the meat up to this rope and tie it up to Felix, and then the floor underneath completely opens up nearby. And we see a big old shark in the water and the meat is thrown. So there's like this, it's not a hook or maybe it is a hook, but the rope is attached to Felix and the hunk of meat. And then it's kind of swung over, let's say a hook. And the meat is like lowered into the water, which pulls Felix up. And then we see the shark take a big old chunk out of the meat, which reduces the weight of the meat so now that Felix is heavier, he then gets lowered into the water where the shark is. So Sanchez is saying how we're not going to kill you. This isn't the end of you, my friend, or, you know, all that sort of stuff. Because Felix is like, well, if you're going to kill me, just kill you, kill me. But he's like, we're not going to kill you. So Felix is, has his legs hanging into the water and he's screaming, see you in hell. And all that of which the shark bites Felix and he screams, starts screaming and then we cut to some shots of everyone just laughing around. And we see Cress, the older man, is looking very disgusted. And Kilfler, the agent, looks like he's going to be sick and disappears. Mm. And that's it. So this is, it's not the most gory scene in the film, sadly. Uh, but yeah, it is pretty, pretty horrific. So you don't really see Felix's legs being removed, but you do see his like legs in the water with him screaming with like, I guess a bit of blood. I think you do see blood in the water. And yeah. 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 yeah, It's just a little bit too much. Like there was just, I I think you could have done this idea. I think you could have done it, but I think the hunk of meat, like they're really trying to go for this little bit more, not of a horrify, but like, you know, more of this thriller. So just the imagery of this massive hunk of meat in itself is quite unpleasant. And then to see a man get lowered into a water and have his legs bit off by sharks. It's like, I do think you could have done this idea. There was just a very real effort to get like gross meat and blood in your face. So you kind of feel it a little bit more. And I've watched way gorier films than this and it's been fine. It just felt a little bit too out of place here. I Again, I think you could have done this scene and toned that stuff down and it would have been more effective. And I probably would have enjoyed it a little bit more. We've said in the past how sometimes it's it's what I mean it's it's a horror it's a horror lesson one oh one, right? Sometimes what you don't see is better because your what your mind comes up with can often be ten times worse than they can show on film. And in the like previous Bond films I think have done that in some examples. Uh, even a, a view to a kill, I said about when they did it with the pressure valve. That's such a a good way of doing it. Um I'm gonna be honest, I did pause and I did want to check what you actually saw on screen. I'm that sort of person, all right? Oh, judge me. Is. Judge me all you want. I knew it. Ju- I-, I knew it from episode one. 
I know. <laughs> I've been waiting all this time. <laughs> Just wait until I get to the head popping scene. Um, no, you do see like a stump. You see, you see a stump. So, like, you definitely mm. see a missing leg, albeit very briefly, amidst lots of blood. So, they really, yeah, they 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 didn't uh, shy away from from amping up the violence here and the the gore on screen, as you've mentioned. And I think one of the things that is not even like the stuff you see itself being that bad, but more also the idea of this is happening to Felix as well, which is generally you would regard as a very safe character uh, in the Bond uh, universe. Bond gets allies all the time in films, sure. But that's you kind of know which allies are going to be the ones that are going to be killed off because they're very temporary, they're new, they're just of the area. This is Felix. He's been in the films for many, many years now. And, you know, even he's not safe in this one, which definitely adds to the the drama of it all. But also, like, in other films, when he's had allies and things like that, and people have been killed, Doctor No had a man being burnt alive, for goodness sake. <laughs> like, that happened in the very first one back in the 60s. Mm. But they die. Like, they die. They're just in the way and they get killed. And maybe they're a bit too casual about it. But even then, the fact that they are more casual about it means that you kind of like, you feel it a little bit, but it is what it is. This is someone being maimed. Like, this is not Felix being killed by Sanchez. This is him being, like, disfigured by Sanchez using a shark. Yeah. And I think they could have had this film and had it all be exactly the same if Sanchez actually just killed Felix. And I think maybe in some ways that might have worked a little bit better. Because, I, like, I don't know why they kept him alive. Like, what was the point of bringing this artifact just to then keep him alive by the end of the film? Like, were they planning for the next film to have Felix in a wheelchair being, what's up, Bond? I'm still here. <laughs> like, the continuity of it feels very strange because there was no follow-up to this at all. It was just Felix gets his legs bitten off in a really horrific way. I think it might have just worked if he just died instead, honestly. Yeah, I just don't think they were there yet in, the, in terms of that sort of decision. I think that was just too much. And I guess I could maybe 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 he would have like a gadget laden wheelchair in the next film. Oh. Q, Q whipped him up something, but it's you know, like we don't see. I don't think is Felix in any of the Pierce Brosnan films. I don't think so. No, I don't think he is. Is he? Well, I don't know. But yeah, it was a strange decision just to keep him around until pretty much the end of the film when he comes back briefly. But yeah, that's what yeah. I just don't understand the reasoning behind it. I think I think. You could have had this be a little bit more in tone with the other Bond films, but also still make it a personal revenge story for Bond by having Sanchez kill Felix instead. Yeah, I guess it it could still be revenge if Felix died, but the fact that Felix lives and uh, we're very soon about to find out that his wife didn't kind of then sets up that symmetry of Bond and what happened to him, and then that's you know an element of the revenge idea to it. So I can understand why they kept him alive, Okay. But I don't really think it makes much difference. Yeah, that's true. I'm just thinking more in terms of like still having this story but not going so hard on the gore. And of course there's many ways of doing that, but I think an older Bond film would have just had his ally be killed and then Bond wanting to avenge his ally. I mean, we had that in the last film, literally in the last film with uh, Saunders being killed and Bond mm. wanting revenge. Like that literally happened last time, so I guess they just wanted to step it up a bit, but yeah, this is always the scene I kind of I've I I feel this one more than the head popping stuff because it is Felix and it's always the one I kind of don't really look forward to. And again, I can take a bit of gore. I can watch a horror film or whatever and be okay. Like it 
that's all right. Not that I'm super into those type of films, but it's not the fact like, oh no, blood on screen, I'm upset about it. It's like, no, no, tonally, this just feels very strange. And I don't think it quite works. I think in my head though, because I had high expectations of this being really gory and and horrible, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was. But yeah, I just don't like this direction. I don't like how hard they went in this direction, how much effort they put into having gore and blood on the screen. And I think it would have been better with toned down a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think that was a lot of the negative reception to this film when it was released. Was that very that very comment? Like it just went a bit too far. After Felix gets his leg nibbled off, we cut to well, nibbled is a bit. <laughs> that <laughs> makes it seem like yeah. a yeah like a squirrel. Yeah. <laughs> hey, the shark was hungry. Uh, we cut to the airport where Bond is about to leave. Um, he heads up to the uh, the check-in desk and is handing over his passport for the tickets and everything. And the lady behind um, the reception, the receptionist, uh, basically overhears something and there's like some drama going on through the radio. And and uh, she says that apparently some big drug lord has just escaped, which obviously sets alarm bells in Bond's head. So he runs back, uh, just ditches the tickets and runs back into um, into the car or to a taxi and heads back to Felix's house. You're saying about we see this house a lot. We really do. Uh, yeah, he heads back in and the place has been trashed. Like it's all like, you know, messed up. Everything's broken. Um, he heads into the bedroom where he sees Della, who uh, is on the on the bed, kind of just collapsed. And yeah, she's dead. Uh, I, I forgot that they did kill her, actually, in this film. Yeah, I wasn't thought, sure either. Yeah, I thought, has she just she's been knocked out or something? Does she come back? But no, she's dead. She is dead. Um, yeah, she's Della, more like dead, deadler. Oh. <laughs> Too soon. <laughs> Too soon. Too soon. No, I, I will say that I think this this whole scene that we're getting is, is you know, is a setting up for Bond, Bond's revenge, right? But <laughs> immediately, I don't know if it's just, I don't know if you caught this, but the way that he, so he opens the door to the bedroom and sees Della on the bed and he, he shouts Della. But I don't know why they decided to keep this particular take the way he says it just has no emotion in it at all or at least the wrong sort of emotion did you catch anything weird about the way he says Della I don't think so oh man it's just me but he kind of just goes like you'd think he would like I don't know not scream it but there would be some very raw emotion coming through well like said it <laughs> like Stella from Stella <laughs> Della. Yeah. yeah but instead he just kind of goes Della and then <laughs> it's very it's such a minor thing to note, but I just think like he's meant to be, this is meant to be it. And it's just what a way to start the scene. Just a little, Della. Oh, okay. Oh, what's going on? Um, uh, in the main room, he spots a body on the sofa all wrapped up and he opens it and it's Felix who looks dead, but um, he starts to sort of come to very, very early, like kind of making some sounds and breathing. Um, so yeah, he's not dead, but Bond does spot a bit of paper on him with a note where it says something like uh, he disagreed with something. No, something. Dis- no. Yeah. It, like he I should have wrote it down. With, yeah. He disagreed with something that ate him. Oh, that's it. Right. Yeah. The old switcheroo. Um, and Bond calls for an ambulance on the phone. Uh, and then, so yeah, so this, this whole, this whole scene is like, he is obviously going to be, he's obviously meant to be very angry in this scene. 
the one his one of his best friends has been attacked and his wife has been killed and I think I think Timothy Dalton does a decent job of like setting up what is going to be this whole revenge plot here or at least the very early start to it anyway but I don't know I just feel like a lot of this film particularly in the next scene we're going to get in hospital something about the way this film is shot it it doesn't seem very cinematic at times I don't know how to describe it because it's not like a television show but I don't it just doesn't have the it just doesn't have the big screen feel for a lot of scenes. I don't know whether it's just the way it was shot or the camera or whatever, but I think this is one of those scenes that I think could have been better. It could be. It doesn't help that it all... They keep going back to this house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe it's just this house set that maybe. just fell a bit off. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I mean, he does a decent enough job here. It's just I don't buy it. I just don't... It goes back to what I think about a Bond and Della, like... They introduce this random woman. Well, she's not a random woman. That's not fair. But introduce Felix's wife. And then Bond sees her and gets all upset and mad. And you're kind of supposed to buy it. And it's like, I just kind of don't. Like, at all. Because that's who Bond sees and gets upset about. He's not really that upset about Felix. (laughs) He is fine. Yeah, just stitch that right up. Yeah. Well, he actually looks and says, Felix lighter, while you are now without legs. That's a bit (laughs) weird. Oh, so you did watch the deleted scenes? I did. John Glenn was like, I really wanted to get that in. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, he seems more upset and like shaken. He's got like red eyes and stuff about her rather than Felix. And I don't know why. Maybe it's because it's the 80s and you couldn't have a man be upset about a woman friend. (laughs) Like like he had to, you can't cry over a man friends don't cry over each other. Like, no. Oh, yes. I wonder if there was now. a bit of gruff or oh, Bond wouldn't do that. But a pretty lady, oh, now he's mad. You've done it they've now. Gone, they've gone too far this time. This is out of order. Felix, you'll be fine. But you've, this is too far. <laughs> um, I mean, it's effective in what it does. It's still overall effective in terms of setting it up. Uh, I just kind of wish that maybe if it just focused on Felix, I think that would have been strong enough by itself, uh, especially because... Yeah, what happens to this woman? You don't know. It's a little bit ambiguous. So it's... I don't think you needed that aspect to it. Mm. Uh, next up, we're in the hospital where Felix is is getting treated or is in the bed anyway. And the doctor says that he'll, he'll pull through, like he'll keep the arm and the leg had to be amputated or something like that. Uh, so yeah, Felix is okay, everyone. Don't worry. He comes back. Many, many, many years later. Oh, he's great. He's doing really well. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Never mind his wife's dead. Uh, But Bond is there with Sharky in the the hospital room, uh, as well as one of the DEA agents that we saw before, one of the, not the one who betrayed in the the room with Sanchez. And he's basically there telling Bond that, yeah, Sanchez has escaped, but... um, they're not going to do anything about it. They, you know, it's out of their jurisdiction now. He's he's left. He's back in Cuba or South America, so they can't do much. And, and Bond is obviously very angry at this, and he wants revenge for what happened to Felix. Uh, so, yeah, he's going to have to do it on his own from the sounds of it. Yeah, there's also a little thing here where the agents who are investigating what happened here says... Ah, uh, it's probably just a chainsaw. They probably just sort of his legs. You see it all the time. But Sharky says, that ain't no chainsaw. <laughs> Trust me, I'm called Sharky. That was a shark bite. So Bond <laughs> does know what it was. He does, yeah. Now that begs the question, 
Sim- very similar to uh, A View to a Kill with Scarpine or Scarpine, the man with the scar. Yeah. How did, Sh- did was Sharky his natural name? And he's like, right, well, I should know about sharks then. Or, or what came first? <laughs> I gotta go we'll buy some know. books or something. <laughs> we need some sharky lore. Yeah, I. All jokes aside, it's really dumb that he's called Sharky. This is like one of the dumbest names we've had for an ally. Probably not the dumbest name we've had for any characters. You oh know, my no! We've had some dumb ones, but for like Sharky, <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, Sharky. Sure. He knows his stuff. So. Yeah, they, they, they know it's a shark bite, not a chainsaw. So uh, Bond wants to go shark hunting. With Sharky? With Sharky. I mean, who who else, right? Yeah. So they head off and they go to this warehouse. And I think there is a... So they go to the warehouse where this happened. And I think there's a small explanation where Sharky's like, this is the last place we need to look for where this could have happened, right? It's very... Yeah, like they've been to loads before or something like that. Yeah, like they're just searching the island, checking all these warehouses to see if they can find out where this happened. Probably somewhere where they could keep a shark. It's not really explained. Um, So Bond just goes up to the front and rings the bell. And we see inside that Cress is in there and uh, Kifler, the US agent who took the bribe, is in there as well. And he's like, hide, hide, you go and hide. So one of the guards just opens up the door to Bond and says, it's closed. So Bond says, I'm from Universal Exports. Oh. I'm from London, and I'm looking for a, a certain type of shark. Of which Crest then says, okay, uh, come on in. I, I think he allows him to come in. And Crest gives him a little bit of a tour, saying we just do research here into different algae, and we've already sold all our sharks. We don't have any sharks. Of which Bond looks aw- around the warehouse and sees this yellow sub called Shark Hunter 2. <laughs> <laughs> very subtle very uh, subtle uh so he's like oh i guess that's from your old shark days i suppose so crest then just says i'm busy go away <laughs> yeah basically shoes him away and bond says oh i look forward to to seeing you again at some point and we get a little bit of a camera zoom in to show felix's flower from his pocket on his wedding day what what are they called do they have a little name oh they do have a name but i not a brooch is it? it's something else right I don't know. It's like a little clip of a small flower that you would have on your suit during a wedding day. So Bond looks down at the floor, then looks away, and we see the camera zoom in to show the flower. And that means that Bond knows that, yeah, Felix was there. So we cut to night. So Bond is back again at night, and he sees the Shark Hunter 2 yellow sub leave the warehouse. And as that's happening, the Kifler, the agent inside, is is waiting and somebody tells him, oh, the sub's coming back in three hours to come pick you up. So he's waiting there to be taken out of the country through the sub. So Bond goes into the warehouse through the dock where, uh, yes, he goes in. And I was a bit confused by this because he's underneath the warehouse and he's going over this crates and a shark jumps out of it and tries to bite him. But was that meant to be a real shark? I think so, which is not great. It looks so fake. Yeah. And sharks don't do that, I think. It's just so unnecessary. They should have just saw that and thought, actually, that looks too bad. We don't even need it. It's fine. We've got a little scene coming up with some action in it. We don't need a little jump scare from a a shark. Yeah, he just gets, like, yeah, Bond is just a bit spooked because a shark just smashes through this grate and tries to bite him and then it lows again. 
it really is very like bad theme park ride where you mm. walk and it pops up and it goes grrr, her, 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 and then lowers <laughs> it again. Uh, uh, what's her face? Oh God, how have I forgot? She, I was meant to have a fan club for her last episode. Um, um, oh, oh the mind. Bond girl. <laughs> I had a joke already, but I can't remember her name, so it's ruined. I can't remember her name. The either. moment's passed. It's fine. <laughs> she must have been a great Bond girl. Shut up. I liked her. Well, I just can't remember her name. Cello woman. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So Bond escapes the shark, and we see a lot of shots of fish in their tanks inside here. So Bond enters through a hatch under the ground and is now in the warehouse and starts sneaking around. And he opens up a giant drawer. And it's full of maggots. So his natural reaction is roll up the sleeves and get his hands in there. And as he goes through all the maggots, he finds a load of drugs. I think cocaine is the drug of the hour for this film. Um, Mm -hmm. Finds a load of blocks of cocaine. So a man then comes up behind him and points the gun at Bond. And searches him, takes Bond's gun. And Bond's like, well, can I take my hands out of these maggots? And he's like, okay, but do that slowly. And he does it slowly, but he gets a little handful of maggots, throw it in the the guy's face. That causes him to be like, ah, there's maggots in my face. So Bond (laughs) flips him. Yeah, strange Uh, line to include in a Bond film. Yeah, it was very well done, Ah, but it it ah, works. There's maggots in my face. There's maggots. Help, please. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) That's the silent film version that comes up on screen. It's the piano plays. Uh, so yeah, so Bond has distracted him. He flips him in the maggot drawer and then shuts it and says "Bon appetit," which is a nice little line. Quite. Does he that say one. that? Oh, I missed that. Yeah, he oh, says right. "Bon appetit." Oh, Bond appetit. But <laughs> I don't think so. But maybe I didn't have the subtitles on. Oh, Mr. Trick there. Yeah. So another guard shows up with a gun and starts shooting at Bond. So this guard is up above on this railing area looking overlooking the warehouse so he shoots bond highs the guard is reloading and we get kind of a slow scene where the guard is slowly kind of creeping around or walking around trying to find bond and slowly reloads and we see bond sneaking underneath and eventually bond is able to sneak underneath him he gets a hook and the guard starts coming down these stairs so bond hooks the, or uses the hook to hook the guard's belt and then pulls him down and he lands into an electric eel tank and gets electrocuted. I don't really know what they're doing with this scene, to be honest. Like, it's not really bad, but it's very silly with all this, like, sea life stuff from, like, the fake shark to the maggot draw to someone being zapped by an eel. Like, we went from a very serious, gruesome scene, and I think that's what makes the tone so odd in this film. Like, there's actually a little bit more comedy or silliness in this than what I remember. So you go from Felix in hospital with no legs after they got bit off by a shark and a woman being whipped to, like, man gets zapped by eel and put in Magadroids. Uh, it's a, it's a, I don't think I was in the mood for this type of scene as I was watching it. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's a very good scene, really, just for those reasons you described. And also, don't try and do maggots on film unless you're going to get real maggots. I... The shark was bad enough, but just it just doesn't. It just looks like a a whole tray full of like jelly stuff. Like you're never going to be able to make, make it look like maggots. So don't even try. Yeah, they don't were try. a lot bigger than maggots would be. I think. 
Yeah, and they just weren't moving. It's just it just <laughs> looks bad. It's oh yeah, because it was like it was in waves, wasn't it? It was like waving up and down almost. Like yeah. it was like a mass that was yeah. like bubbling almost. Terrible. But yeah, it's just I, this is one of those scenes going back to when we were laughing at Timothy Dalton's hair. Um, this is Go another on, scene yeah. where I, I just think he looks bad here. Like I know he's not meant to be. You know, he's not all tucked in a casino. Not quite yet. But he just doesn't look good. He just looks a bit disheveled. And maybe that's the that's the vibe they're going for. Where you know he he is on his own in this mission. He's he's going to go rogue basically. But I don't know. I just think sometimes you need Bond to still look the part, and he just doesn't here. And I think that tied with this whole kind of goofy little fight scene thing going on. Uh, I could have, I just didn't really enjoy it. Yeah, that's all fair. Like, you could have built a Bond looking a bit more beaten up or not quite right as the film went on, which it does do that, to be fair. But this isn't Bond going rogue. This is Bond just investigating someone in a warehouse. It's like, it should be a pretty standard Bond affair. It doesn't quite feel like that. And a lot of this stuff with the Bahamas, right? Like, this film takes a place decent amount in the Bahamas. I'm trying to think what the other locations are. I couldn't even tell you off the top of my head, but... Oh, don't even try and make me say it. I'm I'm going to... It's called Ismus City is the other main place. It's South America somewhere, right? It's basically Panama, but they, they just called it a fake name. But the way it's spelled, I always trip over saying it. So I, I'm going to probably say it wrong, but I'm just going to say Ismus. That's... There's a TH in there, but I don't know how the hell you say that. <laughs> I won't argue with you. But <laughs> but yeah, so there's not a big focus on location. But when you have the Bahamas, to me, it's like Fundable. Like, I'm just thinking of Fundable. Yeah, and I think oh, Fundable yeah. was a lot smarter in terms of having these sort of, these type of scenes, I guess, and integrating it. And this, to me, like, just feels like lesser Fundable. Like Fundable was just more fun. So they just had fun with it, where this is just like, oh, look at these maggots. It's like, yeah, no, thank you. Yeah, no, I'd rather not. They would have used real maggots for Thunderball, let's be honest. Oh, yeah, and all the maggots would get harmed during the making of the film. Yeah, and the and the stunt actor actually and... gets thrown in the drawer. Yeah, yeah, you know, that's what they signed up for. Yeah, so yeah, so this results in Kifler, the US agent, showing up, and he points a gun at Bond, and he tells Bond, go stand over there by the trap door. So... He then opens up the door. So this is the trap door that we saw before that Felix was fed into. So we see the shark underneath in this pit. And so Bond is there. Yeah, so Bond is there, hands up. Agent has the thing, gun pointed at him. And Sharky, (laughs) Sharky, everyone, (laughs) uh, opens up the hatch to break in. And I think that knocks into the agent. Yeah, that's right. It kind of trips him up a bit. Yeah, it trips him up, which gives Bond a chance to attack him. So they have a little bit of a fight. And then he then kind of, the agent gets pushed back and is like holding over the shark tank. So he's managed to hold onto a rope or something like that because Bond has pushed him in that direction. So he's then like saying, we'll split the money. I got two million there. We can go half and half. Of which Bond picks up the suitcase and says, you've earned it. You keep it, old buddy. And throws the suitcase at him with knocks the the man into the water, and the shark attacks him. All the money has gone everywhere, and there's blood, and he's dead. Of which Sharky looks and says, "What a terrible waste." Which Bond looks at him a bit shocked, and he's like, "The money, the money." Oh, Sharky! 
Yeah, and it, it's a decent end for Kifler. I mean, I say decent end, it's barely in it, but it's like a very poetic end for all of this. But yeah, it, it does make him feel like a little bit of a nothing character. I wouldn't, don't really care about this guy. But, you know, it, it's all that imagery of like water and blood and money everywhere and, oh, money didn't help him in the end. Ha 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 ha. Um, so it's all, it's fine, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of money in this film. A lot of money. So that's just a taste of what's to come in terms of money flying everywhere. Um, and I, I think, what was I going to say? At least they didn't, like, they just, they kept this bit quick because we've, we've seen this before. Like, we've just seen this with Felix. So they didn't really waste any time with this. You just, you kind of knew what was going to happen and it, and it gets done. So that's that's good. At least, you know, didn't didn't waste any time there. No. Oh, Okay. After that, we see Bond and Sharky at uh, a harbour, like a dock side. <laughs> Don't laugh at Sharky. <laughs> just can't get over it. So most of my notes just call him like man, like wedding man. Stop uh, it. <laughs> yeah, well, I know. I I figured out he was Sharky later on, but uh, yeah, it's going to make me laugh. <laughs> um, Sharky's at his boat and Bond comes <laughs> and sees him. And, and the, So I don't know whether this is something... This is uh, an issue with a deleted scene or if I just missed something. But Bond is asking about Crest's ship, his like marine ship called the Wave Crest. I don't know how on earth they they got to this point. No, I don't know either. Like no. this is another one where similar to the last film, now that we're talking about it, it totally makes sense to me. Like it totally makes sense what they're talking about. But at the time, it's like, why are they talking about a boat? The what? The Wave Crest? What the... What's that? Like, I didn't even pick up on the name. They just said a, yeah. a word that I didn't recognize. And they said that there's a boat. But no, I also didn't pick up on how they found that out. Okay, good. It wasn't just me. Well, Sharky says that uh, it's owned by Milton Crest. And we know who that is. And it's currently out on a like a mission researching somewhere. And it's uh, six hours away. So they plan to go over and investigate it later on. Uh, but uh, Bond gets kind of caught by the agent the dea agent we've seen a few times now um who is he, he tells bond that basically they've, they've discovered the remains of what just happened in that warehouse they've discovered killer fur and um kind of basically saying without saying that they know bond was behind that um and then you know don't don't meddle with with this sort of thing go home go back to england uh know your place sort of line and as they're doing this he's sort of getting they're walking away and you suddenly kind of like see some other agents around him and he's getting kind of ushered into this particular location. They're kind of forcing him to go down into this, into this house, which apparently is a famous house where Ernest Hemingway used to live. It's called the Hemingway house. All right. um, good name. Yeah, it's a good. Ha- good name. Uh, it's, it's a good looking house. Uh, and as he goes in, you do get a shot of a man on a balcony of this house, kind of overlooking Bond getting, getting brought in. And you don't see the front of him, just see the back of him, and you see this cat walk past <laughs> on on the railing of this balcony, and it's like, well, hang on a minute, who's oh this now? Dear. What's going on here? Could it be? Is it really? Uh, but they don't explain. They just you know leave you leave you wondering for just a little bit uh, as Bond gets taken up to this man, and there's snipers all around, and these guard towers, very important person, obviously, and then you discover. It's bloke. No, it's not. It's M. It's M. Everyone. It's M. Played by Charles it's, Gray. 
<laughs> he would have been a good M. I think uh, he would have. Yeah, I think he would have been a good M. But it does, it does make you realise that we're now like over half an hour into this film, and we've not set foot in London. Like this is the first we're seeing of any element of you know the briefing and the the M office scene. We're not even getting that. We're getting M out in the field, uh, who's obviously been been brought along to to come and see Bond and and to tell him off. Really, uh, Bond should have been in Istanbul. He should, he's got his own mission to do. I guess he had some time off for the wedding, but he should be back at work now. Uh, and yeah, M's basically there saying, "Get back to work. I leave this to the Americans. It's their mess." And Bond is is arguing is a friend, and Felix would do the same if it was the other way round. Uh, M gets very flustered here. It gets very sort of yeah, very flustered and blustered. And um, Bond eventually says, uh, "Finally, you know, if I can't do this, then I I resign." Um, to which M's like, "This is not a country club," and it's <laughs> very very angry, uh, and and says, "Okay, fine, you know, like your license is hereby revoked." Um, give me your gun sort of thing. Uh, so as Bond is giving his gun out and a farewell to arms, he says, and he uses that as the opportunity. I don't know if he drops it or he shoots it or something like that, but he does something to distract the guards around him and M and jump over the balcony and, and escape. And they go to shoot him and, and M stops everyone and says, there's too many people. And then you just get this nice dramatic ending as M watches Bond like flee. And he says, God help you, Commander. Oh. It's it's all very like eighties cheese. Yeah, I mean, so fun fact about this film is that it was a it was meant to be called License Revoked. Ah, it was not supposed revoked. to be called License to Kill, but I think they had some issues with it or something, and they just decided to change the License to Kill, which is more associated to Bond. Because yeah, also a little bit of a tangent again. Uh, this is the first film where the name of it does not come from Ian Fleming's works in any way. There is no story or short story called License to Kill. This is the first time they had to come up with a different name. So mm. they came up with quite an iconic one. And it ties quite well into the story, to be fair. But even saying that, like, this is kind of the big problem I have with this film and what makes me so, like, undecided on it is that some of these elements, I feel like, make it feel a lot less like a Bond film. Where I don't mind this idea of Bond going to avenge Felix and leaving, but there's something about the way they do it and betray it. And I think this is why the gore kind of bothers me as well, because it ties into this idea about sometimes it just doesn't feel very James Bond. Yeah. And even though they they do put in a real effort to try and make it feel like Bond, yeah, I'm looking at you, Q. Well, you'll get your moment. Um, <laughs> the fact that if this was like Bernard Lee, I would probably buy it a lot more. If this was like, but it's not. It's this guy who he's played M for what, like five films, four film, no, three films, no, four films, because he wasn't in For Your Eyes Only. It was, it was just no M. Yeah, yeah there was no M. It was Octopussy was the first one, right? Yeah, yeah. So I just don't feel any real attachment to this M. Like I recognize it's M, I guess, but I just don't care. Um, and the fact that this kind of happens like this, and in the Bahamas as well. We're not even in London. They're just at this famous house I didn't recognise and M's 
pretending to be Blofeld or some nonsense. It's just like, <laughs> what is all this? Like, it's like, I just don't think they... They do make a real effort to make it feel like James Bond and you get the Bond theme and you get the gadgets and there is a ton of stuff in here that you can say, yes, it is a Bond film. And I'm not here to say it doesn't feel like a Bond film at all, but these scenes and some of these elements to me like do detach me a little bit from it feeling properly like a Bond film. And that's the first time I've ever thought that during this rewatch. And it's a really strange feeling and I don't know how to really feel about it. I I totally agree. I totally agree. I'm a simple man. I'm a simple man. I need my Bond elements, right? Uh, and I think if this was any other Bond film, this was Roger Moore Bond film, this would be like an MI6 office. He, you'd, he would walk in and there would be Moneypenny sitting and then he would go into M's office and there would be everything would just be lit like, like it would be back in London, which I totally understand why they would not do that here because it just would not match anything they've done in this film so far or Timothy Dalton overall. Uh, but I think the fact that yeah, this is Timothy Dalton's second film. It's we've had a new Money Penny in the previous one. This is still a relatively relatively new M, or at least one that I think a lot of people wouldn't have any attachment to. It doesn't have the same, just doesn't have the same sort of charisma as, as Bernard Lee's M personally. I think, and then you have all that with the fact that they do take out a lot of these Bond staples. All you, yeah, all you really do get is a lot of Q and a lot of the Bond theme. I think they they tried to make up for it of just sticking the Bond theme in everywhere in this in this film soundtrack. But um, yeah, I think that is an element of why ultimately this would not be one I'd go back to very quickly because it's just you watch Bond for a reason, right? You want to see the stuff that you want to see, and it kind of sounds like I'm complaining. I'm complaining when you know they're trying to do something different, but I guess I am. <laughs> Nice. Why? I guess if, if only they sent them into space, this would have been <laughs> top five for you. Oh, uh, I don't, yeah. Maybe they just went a bit too far with changing things. Yeah, I think it's an interesting case study, though, as I said about comparing this to Casino Royale, because Casino Royale removed a lot more elements, but Casino Royale was like a reboot where, yeah. like, Living Daylight in this film is very heavily trying to tie itself. Like, we had Felix say about how his dead, his dead wife and stuff. Like, they are trying to keep their continuity up and say this is kind of the same Bond to a certain extent. And bloody Blofeld references, what are you doing? <laughs> that was strange. Like, they are really trying to make that effort where I feel like Casino Royale, they just said, no, we're rebooting and just kind of stuck to it. And then throughout the film's built upon that, where mm. this one is like trying to have it both ways. It's trying to have a very different feel and vibe while also trying to connect itself to the same continuity and series that has like Diamonds Are Forever and <laughs> Moonraker in it. And I think it's that trying to have the cake and eat it, which kind of ruins it. And maybe if they did kind of go a little bit more all in on one of the directions, if they either toned this stuff down to make it feel more like the other Bond films, or they went more the other way, so you kind of were able to settle it a little bit better in your mind about what this film is about and what it's trying to do, it might have worked a little bit better. But it kind of sits in the middle, and that, that to me isn't about, is it a good or bad film? That's kind of a different question. But in terms of, like, is it a good Bond film? As you say, I wouldn't go back to it, because when I'm in the mood for Bond, this is just not what I want. And if I did want something like this, I would just watch Casino Royale. Because yeah. it just did it better. Yeah. You could say they wanted their wedding cake and eat it too. 
Too soon. <laughs> he's in hospital. It's passed out. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah, the doctor said it was a chainsaw or something. I know he's fine. <laughs> oh, anyway, uh, where were we? So after that, we cut to a boat at night, which I don't know if you actually see if it says the wave crest, but this is the wave crest, the boat that uh, Bond and Sharky was talking about before. And we see Crest talking to the woman that was whipped previously. I did not call her whipped woman. You'll be happy to hear. What was her name until you knew her name? Just woman. Just woman. <laughs> I'm getting real lazy with these. I'm just like, ah, woman, I know what it means. A woman. A woman. <laughs> <laughs> so like, I've got stuff like old man approaches the woman in my notes. <laughs> See, whereas mine, it would be Lupe... That is her name, by the way, folks. His name's Lupe. Lupe, Lupe approached by Head Pop Man. It's all oh, fine. Head Pop, yeah, that makes sense. H-H, two H's in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Is it... Is it actually Lupe? I thought they called us something else. I think it's Lupe. Oh, we have to look this up. Yeah, it is Lupe. Okay. I thought it was like Ruby or something. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, I don't think I ever wrote Lupe down at all. But anyway, so we have Crest and the woman from before, Lupe, talking, and they have a little bit of an odd conversation where Cress is like oh you caused a lot of trouble you because you ran away and Sanchez went nuts and went after her and that's why he almost got caught there so that kind of like contextualizes what happened at the beginning the reason why Sanchez a powerful drug lord revealed himself is because Lupe is his his girlfriend for lack of a better term and Sanchez went after her because she ran away um, so there's also this kind of Cress seems to be running the organization to a certain extent where like sanchez is in charge where he's like in charge of like the drugs part and the drug smuggling part so it's a, it's a little bit strange so the old man or crest i don't really know what he was doing in there but lupe is like you're drunk go away <laughs> of which the the captain of the ship then shows up very very soon afterwards and says there's something large nearby we're detecting something large on the radar and they go back into the room and look at the monitor and they see the shadow of a huge manta ray so Chris is like it's just a manta ray leave me alone <laughs> uh, there's nothing to see here and leaves and we go to a shot of underwater where the manta ray is and we see a diver using holding onto a massive man manta ray like cover like this sheet and yeah, it, it's Bond. Like, it's a good disguise. It's I not like bad. That. It's better than the crocodile sub, anyway. Yeah, but it doesn't... Yeah, I guess it's not bad. I guess cameras were bad enough to not detect, like, oh, that's just a giant black <laughs> it's just sheet. just a man. <laughs> I, yeah, like, um, I also like the idea of, like, Sharky having to cut this out of cloth with scissors. <laughs> he can't. He's a sh he only knows the shape of sharks. He doesn't know how to do manta rays. Ah, oh, yeah. You need they... you need mantery for that. Man yeah, where's mantas? <laughs> <laughs> Next mission. Um. So yes. So he Bond loses the disguise and grabs onto this yellow rope that's kind of dangling off the boat, and he pulls himself up. And so there's a there's the boat the wave crest and then there's like a probe a small little kind of sub probe next to it which i think is manned i think it's um, manned i don't i thought it was remote controlled it actually. probably is i i don't quite remember <laughs> but it's oddly important that there's a probe and there's the boat so bond jumps onto the this yellow 
robe goes on top of the probe. The probe services inside the boat. It like docks inside it. And we see a man going to unhook the probe and Bond jumps out of the water and pulls him in. And we get a shot of some water for a little bit and only Bond comes up. And I was like, oh, okay, they're really doubling down on this because that's quite brutal to have Bond drown the man. Mm. But no, he then just pulls the man out of the water. It's fine, don't worry. Like, he would not be fine. (laughs) (laughs) He was under there for so long, couldn't breathe, and was also probably fighting for his life against Bond. Like, I, I also don't buy that that man would be okay. Bond's not a monster yet. Yet. A little bit. So Bond removes all his diving gear and, like, carries him on his back, the man that he drowned. And we see nearby there's, like, a pressure chamber. Like, quite a small little pressure chamber that you can put people in and or put stuff in and then kind of there's one of those, like, circle handles like you see on ships that you can spin around. So, yeah, he throws the man in there and then spins it around. He should have just drowned him. I really don't know what why he didn't to be honest it's a bit strange um so he hides him in there but he also sees a lot of money in the chamber bond sees that there's a ton of money in there so he lock he hides him inside he then hears some guards coming in so he hides and goes into the next room and a lot of guards are laughing and bond starts sneaking around the ship we see some guards are sleeping so he knock he goes past them while Bond is sneaking around, the guards that were laughing that entered the room find the man he was locked up and free him. So Bond then eventually reaches a room and it says Milton Cress on the front, which I appreciated because I could learn how to, you're meant to spell it. It's with a K. Cress with a K, everyone. Really nice of the film to do that. Yeah, very handy. So Bond enters holding a knife and he approaches the bed in the room. And finds Lupe sleeping in there. And he grabs her, points the knife like right at her throat. And he's like, make a sound and you're dead. And he then starts asking questions about what's going on. Like, where's Sanchez? Where's Sanchez? And she says, Sanchez is not in board. I have no idea where he is. And Cress then knocks on the door. Of which Bond allows her to answer it. And Cress is saying, somebody's on board. So because the guards found the one that was not the knocked out guard, they've sound the alarm and they're looking around trying to find someone. So Cress tells her, like, somebody's aboard. Have you seen anything? Of which she says, I haven't seen anyone. And yeah, Cress then says, be careful, lock your doors, stay hidden. So Cress leaves and Bond sees the whip marks on her back. And she's saying it's my own fault for betraying Sanchez. That's I kind of got like that was all her fault. And then this was a very strange moment where it's like now apparently during the day, because I think they go up to the window and it's during the day. And that really confused me. Oh, yeah. I didn't even realize that. It's just weird. Oh. So apparently Bond spent all night. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Wow. Very strange. But the reason why they're looking out the window is because they, they see one of the bo- another small boat is kind of docked and they have a big shark hanging up. And also poor Sharky. They've no! captured Sharky. And they have him kind of hung up like a shark. So they have the hook. And they kind of have his arms and t- his arms tied up and he's like hung up by his arms on this hook. And I think at this point, he's pretty much meant to be dead, right? 
Like we yeah. don't see him again. And all the guards or the people who catch him all laughing like, ha, 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 we got him. Ha, ha, ha. And, but that that was the end of Sharky. Do we, do we want a, a minute silence for Sharky? Maybe, maybe five seconds. That sounds a bit long. I'll, I'll do you two. All right, two seconds. So anyway, that was Sharky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was Sharky. He he's he didn't didn't have long on screen, but he really made an impact. I don't get this though, right? Because I didn't think this at the time, but it's making me mad now. Where Sharky is in the car at the wedding, and he's clearly a very good friend of Felix and Bond's, or you would imagine yeah. so, right? He was yeah. in the car. There was like the. Felix, who was getting married, the best man Bond, and Sharky. <laughs> so he's clearly very important, but it's like, not. it doesn't really matter at this point. It's like, we've already set this up. I don't... Bond bit, is, is angry. But Bond isn't as angry as he needs to be now. You know, he doesn't need another person, another loss in his life. Sharky, what, what, where is he going to go to now for his shark knowledge? I don't know. But yeah, it's, it's a bit odd. I don't... It's it's another one of those where it's like this to me like Bond has a as a, a close attachment to Sharky as he did like Della like to me they're the same sort of character because we only just got introduced to them and now Sharky's dead although it was another one where it's like it was quite a horrible image because it's a dead man being hung up like a shark like that is pretty brutal so they are really doubling down on this like corpse dead man imagery yeah no dignity for sharky there no <laughs> come on guys dignity for sharky yeah i don't know i think uh, it obviously makes sense why the film is doing this and it is just all adding into those elements of revenge just feels a little bit unearned i think with sharky it's just an well I, just, I guess not every character needs to be one we know and a big emotional attachment but he's just said like one funny line basically and that's it yeah, it's it's just a little little odd. So, yes. So Bond then, I think, just leaves the cabin and grabs a harpoon and just shoots one of the divers, point blank, with a harpoon. Yeah. And everyone's like, oh, that's Bond. <laughs> Get there him. There he is. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I guess that's supposed to be Bond being emotional and reacting to Sharky's death, that he just quite bluntly leaves and just shoots some with a harpoon maybe yeah uh so yeah so he shoots the diver into the into the water and everyone starts shooting a bond so he just dives in and he swims down to go and get the diver gear so this diver that he shot is sinking down so he swims down and takes the gear and and puts it on and crest is shouting find him we gotta get him so the probe that we saw before is launched and we see a lot of small boats in the area and lots of kind of divers coming off it and Nearby, we see, unrelated, uh, two men near a plane, and they're doing like a drug deal. So I believe the whole idea of the Wavecrest even being out here is that they were here to do a drug deal. So Bond has actually just ended up showing up in the middle of it. So two completely unrelated men are just swapping cash and swapping drugs on a very small plane on the water. So everyone else is trying to find Bond and can't find him. Bond is there with the diving gear, so he's okay, but then he notices that he's low on oxygen. And we see that the plane has been fully onboarded with the drugs, and Bond sees the probe and grabs the yellow rope again, and 
he manages to hang on to the probe and okay so i think the probe was being used to transport the drugs yeah so they gave the money to the plane and then they loaded the, the probe of the drugs yeah okay yeah that's the one yeah so the the deal had the the money went in the plane and the probe took the drugs and then the probe was being brought into the ship of which bond jumped on and opened up and saw all the drugs so he just starts stabbing at it and there's like a load of uh, like a cloud, white cloud all surrounding him where all these drugs are going up and Cress looks on the video feed of the probe and sees Bond there just stabbing it and destroying it and Bond destroys the camera so they try to pull up the probe which I think they do like the probe services and Bond is still on top of it. They go to shoot Bond, he dives down he ends up trying to swim away, but a load of divers are chasing at him, and one of the divers shoots a harpoon at Bond, barely misses. And then there's like four of them who all manage to like grab Bond at the same time, which is like a pretty harrowing situation for him to be in, because it's like, well, surely he's just screwed, right? <laughs> like, Well, you would think so, but... Like, this is a little bit silly to me. But yeah, they all grab him and like knock off his oxygen so he can't breathe. So they're just trying to drown him, basically. But he manages to get a harpoon. He shoots it. And he shoots it at the plane that was doing the drug deal. And the plane is lifting off the water. And because Bond has attached himself, he is pulled away and gets away from the from the guards. And this results in Bond, like, surfing using the harpoon gun as it's being pulled along the water. And some men on speedboats come and shoot at Bond... And Bond, I couldn't tell you how, he somehow launches himself forward and lands onto the plane. I know I shouldn't question the physics of this, but it seemed very odd to me that that's even technically possible, because surely the force of the plane is what's pulling him forward. How could he possibly go faster than the plane to catch it? Doesn't well, matter. Oh, doesn't it? Well, go I on. think it does. Okay, let's let's hear it. Let's consult. Uh, let's consult our our physicist uh, on the team yeah did you did you invite them i thought you was i oh because i do it every other week i thought this was damn okay well we'll never know i guess sorry about that everyone we'll figure it out maybe next time yeah so (laughs) so bond gets onto the plane and there's like two men in the front and they see bond hanging on and the plane is taking off is completely taken off the water now by this point and is flying in the air and one of the men like checks one of the side but bond has gone around the other so bond then hides and the man has opened the door so bond just unhinges the door and pushes the man out you get quite a funny shot of the man falling hanging onto the plane door like, oh with this like door <laughs> in his hand it's quite a funny shot um so the pilot it's just the pilot left he shoots at Bond because Bond has now climbed into the plane. Bond uses some of the money to protect himself. Money flies everywhere because of this. And then Bond is kind of pushed out a little bit. He's hanging onto the other door. The pilot starts like turning the plane to try and knock him out. Of which Bond then knocks out the pilot. And the plane starts to no die, no, like uh, go down. So Bond takes over the controls, pulls it up, throws the pilot quite casually out of the door. <laughs> and has all this money so he gives a bit of a smile flies off on the plane and then we just see a little zoom in shot of crest seeing the the money and the plane go away so 
This was all just okay, really. I don't. I don't it's more plain stuff, isn't it? Yeah, for you? it's more yeah. planes. It's more diving and water. I mean, it's both, right? They finally just combined the water and the plane stuff, and it's all just all right. I just can't. I don't really have any strong emotions either way about this scene. It's it's okay, and I think this ties into again. It's a John Glenn special where just some of this stuff is just yeah, it's all right. It's a decent little set piece, decent decent little stunt. I like the idea of Bond stealing all this money, but I guess the most notable thing is Bond surfing with the harpoon gun. And yeah, when it first happens, all right, that's pretty cool. But that's pretty as far as I could really go with all this. Yeah, I, I did. I, yeah, I liked the the plane jet skiing stuff. I thought that was quite a cool stunt. Um, but it does take a long time to get to it. There is a lot of there is a lot of faff in the way. Uh, before he's on the plane and eventually on the plane and all that with all the money and the money by the way is very useful like if it, if this didn't happen he'd be screwed later on because he, he uses that money quite a lot later on when, yeah like, i certainly like that plot point for yeah. sure but everything yeah, else is just then. yeah i don't know it's just fine i will say i it, i guess I, it depends on how how much you want to read into it there's there's elements of this that i you could just say well that's just for the plot right that's just for the plot so that's why he did this. Or if you really wanted to try and enjoy it and get more out of it, I quite, the way I'm going to interpret it is Bond stabbing the cocaine bags in the little sub seems, you. why did he do that? Did he do that because he wants to disrupt this plan and see what happens? Or is there an element of he is so caught in the revenge now that he's just doing anything petty to try and get at them? Because you know he saw all the cocaine before in in the warehouse. He didn't didn't worry about that. He left that there. Who cares? But now he's like, right, I'm going to stab it and wreck their plans. I think so, I might upset you or ruin this a bit for you. Yeah. I think the reason why he did it is because he was low on oxygen and he knew if he stabbed the cocaine, they would make the probe surface. Oh damn. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but you could definitely interpret like the imagery of that is not something you would see normally, right? So you could no. totally interpret that as bond going mad but i think it's supposed to be like oh i can't breathe and i need to surface quickly so i'll just stab the the drugs and make them bring me up with it yeah which is why he would just completely expose himself by just sitting on the probe because he just gets completely exposed they should have killed him then really it's there on them at this point yeah i guess because there is a there is the element of bond in this film where he is so caught in revenge and we'll later see that that is to the detriment of other things going on around him. And, you know, the world doesn't revolve around him sort of idea. Uh, so I thought maybe that was a bit of a taste of this already, where he's just like, yeah, kind of obsessed now with just the little things and before he wouldn't care about that. But you're, yeah, that's a very logical explanation. I tried, I tried License to Kill, I tried. Well, I suppose it's the same thing with just like Harpoon and that guy as well who killed uh, Sharky, just like letting letting it all be revealed just for the sake of getting a momentary bit of revenge against him. Yeah, there's a little bit of that. But I will say, like, even though I don't have strong feelings on this, I'm not, or at this point, I wasn't not enjoying the film. It's just another John Glenn experience where it's like, this is all just okay, all just all right. So I wouldn't say I'm, I'm not enjoying it, but it's just like, yeah, it's it's just okay. Um, waiting for something more interesting to happen. I think the fact that Sanchez isn't around, because Sanchez is like the best part of the film, like you kind of feel it when he's not around but 
he is around a lot, so I guess yeah. we'll see him soon. But a big set yeah. piece like this is kind of a bit weak because that presence isn't here. One other quick thing to say, although I've got plenty of times to mention this later on, with the scene with Milton and... Well, no, not with Milton, um, with Bond and Lupe, when Bond breaks into the room and she's in the bed. i got to say, I really don't like this actress who plays Lupe. I think she's just flat out a bad actress. I think she can't deliver lines well at all. I'm sorry. Actually, I'm not sorry. You're you bad. apologise. It's fine, mate. Yeah, no, I, I think any... She's in it quite a lot and... and I think she just, I don't know, she just can't deliver lines well. Everything she says always sounds so forced, really sticks out. I felt that more with the other Bond girl, to be honest, but I guess we'll <gasps> Did get you? Yeah. Oh, interesting. All right, well, yeah, we'll get there, we'll get there. So Bond is flying away with his load of money in the plane. So now we're back once again <laughs> at Felix's house. <laughs> Third time's the charm, right? Uh, it's nighttime, though, and there's, there's like police outside and it's been taped up following the the crime and all that sort of stuff um so bond sneaks in and he's there to get the disc that we mentioned earlier the disc that felix when he was writing up his report of the sanchez operation and he put it in the photo frame of della so he goes and grabs that loads it onto the computer and starts to read about um the informants related to sanchez and this stuff, this is like all happening on the actual computer screen you're reading, kind of, or you're seeing what Bond's seeing. And it's very, very easy to miss this because it's on screen for not long enough than as it needs to be to really explain what's going on. But yeah, Bond's looking at all the lists of informants that that came to the CIA about Sanchez, and most of them are deceased because Sanchez probably got to him eventually. Uh, except there's one still alive right at the bottom of the list, uh, P. Bouvier on there and it says that there was a there's a meeting planned with her at the uh barrelhead bar i wrote it down next thursday it says on there and um you know very important to provide provide support and protection it says next to it so yeah very important contact who felix was meant to meet uh before things went a bit awry so uh, bond is going to go there instead I found this a little bit confusing, but this oh, yeah. is more just like the technology of the time compared to now. The fact that this was all on a disc just felt weird. <laughs> like in my head, I just assumed he was on the internet, just asked Jeeves it or something. But yeah, this is a very like eighties, like all oh, the info on a on a disc, and I gotta go and look at the disc info, and it's like a really old screen, so it felt a little bit more to me. Like, but yeah, this is like more treated like information like a that sort of thing like a very old school style way of doing it because now it just seems so silly that this would even be the case that it'll be on this like hidden disc that he has to load up it's a there's a charm to it but it did confuse me a little bit because i had to rewire my brain be like oh yeah that's how that was back then it was very different yeah i guess even in a position like felix has quite high up in the cia Still, still all done with discs and floppy disks and drives and yeah. I mean, I suppose it proved lucky now. So Bond knows who to go see for some information about Sanchez. So we cut to the Barrowhead Bar. Um, Bond arrives in a boat and gives it to uh, tell someone to go and park it or something like that. I don't know. Um, and heads inside. And this this bar is like quite a sleazy looking bar. You've got quite busy and there's a woman dancing on a little stage in the middle and everyone drinking beer and quite rowdy looking 
and on the table by herself, he spots uh, Pam, who it is, that's P. Bouvier, who is yeah the same Pam that we saw in Felix's office earlier on during the wedding. Uh, so he goes and, and says hello to her and, and asks what's going on, and yeah, she's expecting Felix, but but Bond's there instead, and um, I think she points out that she's been watched by by a couple of people at the bar because uh, yeah, Bond's basically saying that she's in danger. Sanchez is out. Sanchez has all of Felix's files that he knows about you, sort of thing. And she has got this gigantic shotgun <laughs> under the table where they're sitting, ready. Like she says to Bond, "Are you armed?" And he's like, "Yeah, I've got, a, you know, I've got a pistol." And she's like, "Oh, you need one of these." And she's got this gigantic shotgun ready to go. Um, and before you know it, we have some some of Sanchez's goons come in. Uh, well, it's Dario actually, one of them. Um, Dario comes in with someone else and comes straight over and sit down at their table and Dario's all creepy acting and uh, I can't remember what he says exactly but basically just you know threatening them um, at the table Dario's thing by the way well I guess we'll get to it but yeah uh, some something happens oh the waitress comes over and asks if they want a drink and that's enough that's enough of like because one of them is Bond knocks out one and says he's drunk and then something happens that, that makes Pam shoot under from under the table. Can't remember what it is exactly, but yeah, basically it escalates to such a point where a fight does break out. And Dario's thing is he's like he's got a blade and he does he like reveal <laughs> reveals it from his wrist in a really I think it's meant to be cool way, but it doesn't really look that cool. It's like a little switch blade, basically. Um, so he's there like trying to stab um Pam and Bond protects her and say, and like, it's just a, basically the whole bar. Every, what After Pam shoots the shotgun, it's almost like a comedy film where the whole bar then just erupts into a gigantic fight. It's just, you know, like in a, in a comedy film where there's a thing and then two people just randomly start fighting each other. Yeah. It kind of like, that's just what happens. Uh, the, whole, the whole place starts and yeah, we get Pam fighting some people, Bond fighting another one, like flipping over people, using the shotgun to flip them over one of the goons picks up uh, a giant model of a swordfish from the wall and uses it as a literal sword to try and impale bond with it um all this ruckus is going on whilst the dancer like there's a bit of a gag in that the dancer is still going she's still dancing in the middle amidst all this chaos but then even she eventually does uh stop when it gets too much yeah and i think it kind of eventually ends with, does Pam blow a hole in the wall or is there just a hole there anyway? No, she uses a shotgun to blow a hole in the wall. Yeah, so she gets, she makes a hole in the wall. She also shoots a jukebox, which like slows down another sort of comedy thing. Like the music starts to go slow like that. Uh, and Bond and Pam make an escape outside into the boat. Uh, it's It's a very... Like the tonality of this film is just all over the place because this is very much a comedy scene, the way it's set up with all of these little gags one after the other, and I actually quite liked it. I, I, seeing this, I was like, oh, I, I do, I do still need this in a Bond film. I need a bit of lightheartedness, a little bit of comedy like this. I know it doesn't really fit, but I did enjoy it. Oh, I didn't enjoy it. <laughs> I'm not surprised. 
I mean, the fact that like this is a similar scene to what the bloody Sonic the Hedgehog movie did, like they, they did the same sort of scene. It's just another cliche, and I, I just don't really like it. You can have some fun here, but it's been seen so many times. But this goes back to what I was saying before, that this type of scene, like, in an 80s action film, yeah, you would totally get this, and I probably wouldn't mind it that much. But this is just another scene that makes it not feel like a Bond film. Bond going into a dive bar with a woman with a shotgun, and then they get into a big old bar fight, and it's all... It just doesn't feel Bond. I don't mind it being silly, and I think, yeah, I think you're kind of right. Maybe a little bit of comedy injected into this scene could kind of help balance it out a little bit. I'm not really opposed to that, but this type of scene is just just makes it feel a little bit more generic and just a more standard 80s action film, which isn't doesn't mean it's bad necessarily overall as a film or going in that direction, but... Yeah, really didn't like it. Really didn't like it. And I also really didn't like Pam Bouvier's introduction. Because it's it's another one. It's just another 80s trope of just like tough woman. Say, I got the shotgun here, buddy. Don't you? (laughs) Her acting. I hate the way she talks. (laughs) Oh, man. She talks in a very like specific way, which is very like indicative of the time and how like female kind of action stars were portrayed it's very much like and you're gonna have to correct me on this potentially but like in indiana jones when jones is like teamed up with a woman and they don't get on and they just kind of bicker and she talks in a certain way it's like well fat lot of goods you were mister like (laughs) it's that i I know what you mean like yeah i don't mind them going a different direction for bond girls fair enough i think it was maybe overdue and better than the last one but She's such a stereotype, and this scene is such a stereotype. It just feels so aged, and it just really kind of removes some of the the personality of Bond and this film. Just bad stuff all around. Oh. Apart from actually, apart from Dario, Dario is really good. <laughs> he is so creepy and menacing with his smile. I'll give Dario yeah. a thumbs up. Everyone else, thumbs down. Yeah, his little gold tooth sparkling as he as he grins. Yeah. Uh, I, I didn't find Pam too bad, to be honest with you. I didn't find her too bad, though. I do, to- I do get that that I, that line you were saying about Indiana Jones. Yeah, every sort of line is a sort of every reply is a bit of a barb or a quip or a, something like that. Yeah, they've um, just changed the dynamic here to be that more Indiana Jones dynamic, and it's not something I like. So that that's a bit more of a personal preference for me. But yeah, if you ever want to see that dynamic in a Bond film, License to Kill is your that's your film. You heard it here first, folks. Tom hates Indiana Jones. That's not what I said. That's not what I said. <laughs> he's he's boycotting the new one. <laughs> That's it. I'm not seeing it. Because <laughs> this film reminded me of that, and now I'm angry for some reason. <laughs> Steven Spielberg broke after. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway, uh, so Bond and Pam, they escape onto the boat that Bond arrived in. Uh Dario and that are like looking out the hole where they came from and they're shooting at them and they do manage to shoot Pam in the back so she collapses on the boat as they're, as they're driving off so I don't know it looks like she's dead um, but no she's wearing a vest she's all good she's all armoured up um, and yeah this is more of that like tough girl like oh of course I'm, I'm wearing a vest sort of thing and she's uh, is this where she says that she's like an ex-pilot from yeah, the army like, look pal I was an army pilot yeah 
Yeah, so that kind of sets up her um, capabilities because she does do a lot of flying in this film. Hmm. Um, whilst they're shooting at them, the, the the goons and Dario, they also shoot the fuel tank behind the boat. So as they're driving off in the boat, um, arguing with each other about how they just saved each other's lives, uh, the boat does eventually come to a stop because they've run out of fuel. Uh, and this is where Bond starts to explain to Pam what he wants from her, which is... Uh, uh, she wants uh, he wants her to fly him to Isma City, and I assume in my notes. I'm now wondering how does he know that, but I think that was on the the CD about Isma City. Yeah, although she's the Sanchez. informant, right? So shouldn't she tell him that? <laughs> I guess so. Maybe maybe she did, and we just didn't see it. But, I would uh, guess that's... that's how it goes. Like, she, yeah, she's she's she has the information. She knows what's going on with Sanchez's uh, operation. Yeah. So. Um... That's where Sanchez is, and so he needs her to fly her there and you know, sort out all the visas and passports and all that sort of stuff that's associated with crossing the border. Um, thankfully, he has a, a load of money. He's just come into uh, lots of money. So he starts to offer her money, and they start to haggle back and forth, and it's you know they're starting to get a little bit of flirtiness going on, and then this really soppy music starts playing. Um, oh, this, this scene really changes tone. Uh, then I can't remember the lines about like they say something before they start kissing and then yeah it's they end up kissing and then uh, getting down to it in the boat. <laughs> oh, I don't like yeah. I don't like phrasing it like that. Well, you know, you just get this like wide shot of them on the boat, like silhouetted, and then they just like yeah go down on the boat. Oh. But I, I will say one thing I wrote in my notes very distracting is uh, Timothy Dalton has a sideshow Bob laugh. Did you? Oh. It sounds exactly like Sideshow Bob. He laughed oh in this scene. And he laughs a couple other times in this film. And every time it is spot on, close your eyes, it's Sideshow Bob. I like that. I need you to go back and listen, because honestly, I could not I could not believe just how much it sounded like it. Wow. I will. <laughs> That's cool. I mean, he's got <laughs> that great laugh in Hot Fuzz, I think. I think he laughs. Yeah. So he does have a good laugh, but maybe not a good laugh for, for Bond. Mm, maybe not. And also, real quick, she does. Um, her butt hits the boat horn. So oh right, there's the butt, butt shot. Jokes. Yeah, yeah. Got another one. At least she doesn't like. She does that, and then suddenly this giant satellite dish raises out from a mountain nearby. And Bond's like, "Not again!" Oh, <laughs> why are these hooked up? <laughs> this happened to the other fella. <laughs> yeah, it's um. Yeah, again, this is this just goes to my point about this character. She's such an eighty stereotype, the the woman sidekick who's all tough, but then they're like like going back and forth, so then they just kiss. It's like obviously Bond girls do this. This isn't something purely from like these sort of films, but yeah, just dumb, just lame, not into it. I guess let's move on, right? Poor Pam. Yeah, let's move on. So yes, we cut to London during the day. Finally. And we go into Money Penny's office, and M comes in and says, "Money Penny, this isn't like you. You've made, I don't know, like an absurd amount of typing errors on this report." And then there's a, a separate report that's come in, the U.S. Immigration Report, which says that Bond never left the states. He never left the U.S. And M's like, "Well, who? I didn't order this report. Who did?" And Money Penny's all like, "Well, I just wanted to check to make sure Bond was okay." And M says, well, we know that Bond's going to go after Sanchez, so he must be stopped. Of which uh, she then calls Q Branch. 
shortly afterwards, but it then cuts away so we don't find out what happens on the phone. And I guess this is the last time we see Carol and Bliss's money penny. Oh, yeah. Like, it's so weird. Like, I don't like this M that much, but I do. Yeah, I don't like really like him that much. But yeah, she's still such like a child in this scene. Like, she's making mistakes because she's sad about Bond. And then she's like just wanting to help him out and things like that. It's just, uh, yeah, the characterization they did with the last film, they didn't change it. They obviously made it worse, even though it's like this is like a minute long scene, if that. But yeah. She didn't do a lot in the minute. She's still just kind of annoying, so... Yeah. I'm not sad. And yeah, kind of a shame, but she's just... It's very forgettable, really, as Money Penny. I'm sorry. Yeah, just yeah, just forgettable. Like, they try to go in a slightly new direction, but... I mean, her fate was always tied to Timothy Dalton, really, and... Yeah. She just kind of didn't really have enough of a chance, but I'm kind of glad, because I don't think they were really going in a in a direction that I was particularly interested in. I think her characterization was just kind of bad. Yeah, I wonder if they had kept her for Piers Brosnan. That would have been an interesting choice. Yeah, they could have be less sad. She's always so sad. Yeah. And with that, you have reached the end of part one of episode 16 of the Bond Revisited podcast. Join myself and Tom next time where Bond meets face-to-face with Sanchez, has a fight with a ninja wakes up to a man-fish statue, all leading to the explosive tanker chase finale. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you for part two.